Well, good morning, church family. It's good to see you here. It's good to have you joining us via live stream if that's where you are today. Uh, if you're new to us, we're excited to have you and want to just say a quick word again of welcome to you and hope that each of you are doing well in God's grace today. I'm looking forward to our time together in God's Word. I encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 15. Our text today will be verses 1 through 10. As you're making your way there, we are looking forward to our time together this evening and again next week, Lord willing, as we continue to walk through this process that we've called putting down roots. And so I hope that you're able to join us tonight. We strongly encourage you to, to join us for this important time uh, together as a church family uh, tonight at five. And so I want to encourage you to be with us this evening. Luke chapter 15, I want to begin reading here in verse one. This is the word of the Lord. Luke writes, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told him this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Would you help us now to hear it Receive it, be changed by it for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, Facebook groups can be quite an interesting place, especially those neighborhood groups. Some of you know what I'm talking about, those HOA or your neighborhood Facebook groups. I mean, all kinds of crazy things get posted to those groups. Now, some things aren't so crazy, home repairs, recommendations, events in the neighborhood. Uh, there's always the complaints, right? I especially like the ones with the ring video that shows your car speeding down the road that they're complaining about you or maybe somebody else. Love reading the comments on those. But a regular item you can count on in these neighborhood Facebook pages is weekly, you can count on this some post about someone's pets. There's always the regular reminders that, hey, my yard is not your dog's bathroom. But often what I find is posts regarding lost pets. Sometimes it's neighbors letting everyone else in the neighborhood know this dog is running loose. And I don't know about you if you have, or if you're part of these groups, it seems like it's always the same two or three dogs. I mean, my dog, Jax, made the Facebook group one time. I was proud of him. I mean, he was just running down the street gracefully. It was a proud moment, one of the few, few times I've been proud of my dog. But these are 
please, for someone, come get your dog. Or there's the post that someone who's lost a pet is asking for help trying to find their dog or cat because their animal, their pet has run off. Now, most of these have a happy ending. Fido is eventually found and reunited, and even an update post is made. And that post is made so that the other 200 neighbors that could care less can now rest easy again. You know, I'm thinking about those posts, and people really love their pets. And they will go to great lengths in order to find them. Sometimes I wonder if they would post the same thing about their kids. They love their pets. You know, it's a reminder to me that regardless of what it is, something that is valuable to us when it goes missing, we will do all that we can in order to find it. We come to this passage this morning, a passage that is consisting of two parables, or some actually say chapter 15 is one entire parable, kind of with three stories. Regardless of whether you break it up into one or three, you have the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the next week we'll see the parable of the prodigal son. And all three of these parables have the same point, basically. One, something is lost, in this case a sheep and a lost coin, And there is effort spent in order to rescue it, to find it, to bring it back. We come to this text this morning, we see the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and we see that God's heart for that which is lost, for those who are lost, is quite large. He desires to rescue the lost sheep. In fact, God's love for his sheep is infinitely greater than any thing that you and I can imagine, whether it's a lost pet or a lost something. God's love for his own is infinitely greater. In fact, our passage today shows us just how great his love is for that which is lost. It shows us just how valuable the lost are to God. We're going to see God's heart today towards that which is lost, and we're going to see it reflected in three ways. God's heart toward the lost reflected in three ways. The first we see is this. We see that God's heart is reflected towards the lost through an intentional proximity. We know that God loves the lost. We know that God's heart is weeping and pursuing the lost. And we see it through Jesus, particularly, through this intentional proximity. In verses one and two, we get a bit of context. But this context really presents us with the further tension that continued to exist between Jesus and the Pharisees. As Jesus continues his journey towards Jerusalem, more and more more people continue to draw near to hear him, including the undesirables of society, the tax collectors and sinners. This obviously catches the eyes of the Pharisees. 
They see Jesus, they see the crowds, and they look around and they see how even tax collectors, some of the most despised people of the day, and sinners are gathering round to hear him. And so, in good pharisaical fashion, they grumble. They grumble. That's what the text tells us. Verse 2, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. This word grumble, it's the same word used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament regarding the Israelites when they grumbled in the wilderness. Some say that's intentional, showing that the Pharisees are representative of the grumbling Israelites in the wilderness. Could be, but you get the point. Whether they're acting just like the grumbling Israelites of old or or they're just being Pharisees, they're, they're out of alignment with where Jesus is. They're bent out of shape because Jesus has the audacity to receive and welcome sinners in his presence. And he eats with them. Think about that. The Pharisees are grumbling over Jesus' proximity to sinners. Now, Jesus obviously did not share their separatist mentality as we see here in the parables that he shares in response to their grumbling. We know it's in response because verse 3 tells us, so he told them this parable. There's a few things that I think we can, that we can take away here before we move into the parables, just in these first two verses alone. First of all, we we see here a word for sinners. There is some irony here in the way that the Pharisees respond to Jesus' ministry. Think about it this way. Their grumbling is our gospel. This man receives sinners and eats with them. What better news could we imagine, friends? What better news out there is there that Jesus receives sinners and eats with them? The accusation the Pharisees made towards Jesus is actually the very thing that gives us hope. In Luke chapter 5, verse 32, Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We must keep in mind that being a sinner is a universal problem, one that the Pharisees certainly were not exempt from, though they thought they were. Brothers and sisters, left to ourselves, all of us are among the undesirable of society. All of us fit into that category, tax collectors and sinners. You go to Romans 3 and see that very clearly and verses 10 through the rest of chapter 3. In fact, the first three chapters of Romans exposes the indictment of humanity, both Jew and Gentile alike, where it says that all are sinners, all that no one seeks God, no, not one. And then verse 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the indictment upon all of humanity. There was an old Welsh preacher that once said, Why do you shirk at being a sinner? 
It's a wonderful thing to be a sinner. All the promises of God are for sinners and sinners only. Now, wonderful thing in that regard. Obviously, it's not wonderful in and of itself. But we're reminded here that that Jesus loves sinners. He welcomes sinners. He receives sinners. Listen, the gospel is only for sinners. If you were not a sinner, there would be no need for the gospel. So, of course, Jesus comes and receives sinners and eats with them. Friend, if you're here today or if you're watching and you think of yourself deep down of one of the undesirables, whatever that means in our context today, or you've even been treated that way, I have good news for you. You are the very kind of person Jesus draws near to. Your sin, your struggles, your scars do not push Jesus away. In fact, they draw him to you. He came for people just like you so that you might be cleansed of all of your sin and find hope and joy and everlasting life. The value that God places upon the life of a sinner is seen through the coming of Jesus as he receives sinners and eats with them and ultimately goes to a cross and dies on a cross to bear their their shame and their guilt and the judgment that they deserve so that they could be forgiven. So this, friends, even the first two verses is a word to sinners. It's a declaration that Jesus pursues sinners. But it's also a word for the saints, those who are Christians. The interaction or the contrast between Jesus and the Pharisees is an important, for one, an important one for us to see. Because Christians can often forget that they too are sinners and we're in need of God's grace as much as even the worst among us. Oftentimes Christians can get a high and mighty complex if we're not careful and cast a condescending eye towards those who may be tax collectors and sinners. Recall what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He's writing to the church at Corinth and in chapter 6, 9 through 11, he He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and such were some of you. Don't get on your high horse and Look down with a condescending eye towards the sinners of society because such were some of you. In fact, such were all of us. When you and I see others in our community, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our society involved in sin, struggling with the curse and the fallenness of this world, we see all kinds of stuff. Brothers and sisters, let us be the last ones who want to keep a distance 
from such people. The very folks we are tempted to avoid, ignore, or even condemn are the very ones Jesus would have lunch with today. He's a friend of sinners. And as his followers, we are called to pursue them because we are among them. There are certainly people today that fall into that category, tax collector and sinner, and it varies from person to person at times. But just think of those, just wherever you are today, when you think of sinners and those who are repulsive to you, those whose sin seems outlandish to you, perverse to you, maybe not just to you, but according to God's law, And be reminded that it's the very kind of people Jesus died for, to redeem. Of course, there's risk, there's danger, right, in pursuing sinners. It's two extremes I think that we're always reminded and should be reminded to avoid, and one is that of being too comfortable, meaning that when we welcome and receive sinners, that we do so to the degree that we affirm not just them, but their sin, And that's a danger. That's not what Jesus is doing here. He's not affirming their sin. He came to die for it and to transform them. To call them, we're going to see later, to repentance. Repentance means a turning from sin to righteousness. It's a turn. So we don't want to be too comfortable, but at the same time, we don't want to be too cautious or too careful and avoid the undesirables as if they're not worth the time or the risk or if they're going to somehow call into question your reputation. Friends, the point is clear. Jesus ministered in close proximity to sinners because he died for them. That's who he came for. An intentional proximity. We see that God's heart for the lost is demonstrated through this intentional proximity. But number two, we see it through this deliberate search. Now to the parables, finally. As we wade into these parables, we see here the lost sheep, the lost coin, and next week you're going to see the parable of the prodigal son. And as parables go, those parables, the, the, the primary point of a parable is to have one kind of theme, one point, you get into trouble when you start trying to make everything mean everything, but typically a parable has one point that it's driving home, and all three of these tend to have that same point that God is desiring, or God is pursuing because he desires to, God is pursuing that which is lost, valuable to him. And you see it through this deliberate search here as we look at these first two examples, the lost sheep and the lost coin. In both parables, something goes missing and an all-out search commences. In the case of the shepherd, he's tending his flock and realizes one of the sheep out of the hundred has gone missing, so he leaves the 99 to go and search for the one. It's the one that rises to the surface as a priority in that moment, and the shepherd goes to pursue it. This one sheep is so valuable, he's willing to risk temporarily leaving others for it. There's a lot of question about who the 99 are referring to. And again, 
refer you back to the point I just made a minute ago. Don't get bogged down with that. Some assume that it's the church or it's the disciples. Some say it's a reference to the Pharisees because of later uh, where the reference that says that, that are the 99 righteous person who need no repentance, a reference to their self-righteousness. Could be a reference to those already in heaven because Jesus, the good shepherd, leaves heaven to come to rescue that which is lost. It can mean a variety of different things, but the point is the one in this parable. In the case of the lost coin, a woman has 10 coins and loses one, and she goes all out in order to find it. She lights a lamp, sweeps the house until she finds it. Some have pointed out in this passage that, especially the parable of the lost sheep, that Jesus may have had an Old Testament text in mind as he, as he shared this parable. It would have been hard not to have this passage in mind. And the text that I'm talking about is Ezekiel chapter 34. In Ezekiel chapter 34, this passage is about the unfaithful shepherds of Israel who lived only for themselves and refused to take care of the flock. Let me just read some of the language from Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel says, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. Because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to feeding their sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them from the peoples and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into the, their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their gazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing land on rich pasture. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be their shepherd of my sheep and myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. You see that God is often referred to as a shepherd. We know Jesus is referred to as the good shepherd. And as a shepherd, he is determined to pursue that which is lost. 
This truth in both of these parables, the truth that's being driven home here is the value that the lost has in the eyes of God. The fact that sinners, though they may not be important to the Pharisees who are also sinners, the fact is sinners are important to God and he is the one who pursues them. We know that Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. Just as the shepherd here in the parable of the lost sheep did not simply idly grieve and just stand by wondering where his sheep could have gone, or just as the woman who did not idly give up on her lost coin, so Jesus did not just sit in heaven wondering what to do about the lost sheep, but he came and pursued. There was a deliberate search and rescue effort. He humbled himself by leaving the glory of heaven becoming in the likeness of man in order to seek, save, and secure the lost. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, Isaiah writes, looking forward to the time when Christ would come, all we like sheep have gone astray, each have turned, everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, the shepherd Jesus, the iniquity of us all, friends. That is the good news. As we think about God's deliberate search for sinners, I think there are two things to remember. Number one, we've already said it, is the priority of the lost. Jesus emphasizes the importance of the lost sheep and the lost coin. The shepherd and the woman on both accounts, in both accounts, do not take it lightly. You know, sometimes when you lose something, you've got a lot of it, you just kind of say, well, oh well. That's not their posture here. That's not their approach. They they don't look at the lost sheep and say, well, at least I've got 99. Pretty good, right? I've still got 99. Just one. And he was kind of a pain anyway. Or 10 coins. I've still got nine. Not bankrupt. No, that's that's not the attitude. The attitude is I've lost something. I'm going to go get it. They feel the loss. And it shows us again the priority the lost are in God's mission. Look at the extent of the search. How long does the shepherd and woman seek the the, the sheep or the lost coin? Until they're found. Not like most of us guys who will look for something maybe for two or three minutes and just give up. They seek and search until it is found. Do you see what this parable is saying? The lost are in trouble. Listen, as sinners, we are, as sinners, we are a lot more messed up than we think. We are more rebellious than we care to acknowledge. And yet we are told here that we are of more value than we could ever fathom. You, friend, you are the very reason that the Son of God left the glory of heaven and came to this earth so that you and people just like you could be found, rescued, and brought back to the fold. Do you realize that? 
brothers and sisters, as a Christian, this should cause you to be humbled and joyful. Because at one time you were the lost sheep and the good shepherd left heaven to come on a rescue mission for you. And he went to a cross with your name in mind and he died for you to rescue and secure you for eternity. Jesus came after you. He turned this world upside down in search of you. And when he found you, he brought you back. I love this beautiful picture. And when he found his sheep, he, he brings the sheep back on his shoulders. That's what he did for you, Christians. If you're not a Christian, that's what he's doing for people just like you. That's what he's willing to do. He, he's seeking for people just like you. One of the joys is that we have as a Christian is taking part in the search. I wonder how often we might feel the same burden. Friend, do you grieve the fact that there are so many lost sheep running, out, running loose out there somewhere? Does that grieve you? Are, are the lost regularly in your prayers? Do you sense an urgency to go find them? Or are you like the, the apathetic neighbor who's just kind of frustrated that they had to read about your post of your lost dog and they have no, no desire to help? Anytime you encounter an unbeliever, you should know that that person is a priority. No matter how harsh, no matter how sinful, no matter how challenging, no matter how difficult they may be, they should be your priority because, listen, they are God's priority. Friend, with that in mind, who, who, who is a lost sheep that God has providentially put in your pathway? that you might be able to reach. Pursuing the lost can be full of challenges, but yet it's part of our responsibility. Yes, it can be risky. Sheep hunting, pursuing sheep that are lost. My guess is that if you extend this parable somewhat and you find a lost sheep, they may not be easy to handle at first. They're lost for a reason. Yeah, it can be risky. But evangelism and seeking the lost requires risk. You see the priority of the lost, but you also see the success of the search. The success of the search, the good news is that the results of saving and securing the lost are not ultimately on your shoulders. We serve as messengers, but it's the Lord who is ultimately the seeker. 
We can always be confident in the search because we know the lost will be found. John chapter 10, this is the Good Shepherd passage, Jesus speaking. John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Then he says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. Listen to the language. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. We can be confident because Jesus knows his flock, a flock that is consisting of Gentiles and Jews. And they will be one. And he said that his sheep will know him and they will listen to his voice. And friends, that's encouraging to me. Sometimes it can be discouraging in this world when we are seeking to, to rescue the lost because the response doesn't seem so positive at times. But we can rest assured that the good shepherd leads this effort. And he's promised to bring in the lost sheep for whom he's died. And I just again remind you and ask you and encourage you, I encourage myself to be thinking, who, who is it that God is calling you to pursue? Where is he calling you to seek? Lost sheep show up in a lot of places. See, it's a deliberate search. But the third thing that we see that shows how the lost are a priority to God is we see it through a shared celebration. A theme that we find running throughout both parables, in fact, also in the parable of the prodigal son, is that of joy. In fact, joy is all over these verses. Verses five and six, and when he is found at the, the shepherd, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Verse seven, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Verse nine, when she has found it about the woman in the coin, when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin I had lost. Verse 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. When that which is lost is found, there is an all out party. There's a celebration, there's joy, there's rejoicing. Notice, by the way, the emphasis Jesus places here on repentance. While Jesus welcomed and dined with sinners, he ultimately came to rescue sinners from their sin and call them to repent, to turn from their sin to a life of righteousness based on him. When it comes to the pursuit of the lost, 
We need to understand that repentance is something the gospel demands. It's this repentance. Look at the text. It's this repentance that results in heavenly joy. The repentance is part of the finding and shows that while Jesus welcomes sinners, he he does not welcome us to stay in our sin. He meets us in our sin. He dies to forgive our sin and he calls us to forsake our sin, to follow him, that he might be found the source of our joy and our satisfaction forever. Brothers and sisters, when someone sees their sin for what it is, for the emptiness it is, for the offense against God that it is, and they turn from it to trust in Christ, heavenly joy erupts. Notice the contrast between the Pharisees and heaven. The very thing that called the Pharisees to grumble ended up being the very thing that caused heaven to rejoice. And surely, friends, if, if heaven erupts with joy at the repentance of one sinner, shouldn't that be our joy as well? Another thing that we should take note of here is the reunion of the shepherd and sheep. The reunion of the shepherd and sheep doesn't end out in the wilderness. The shepherd brings the sheep back on his shoulders to the flock. Sometimes evangelicals can have a limited focus on reaching the lost as if that's the end. But just as in this parable we see the shepherd bringing the lost sheep back to the flock, we should understand that our evangelism and seeking the lost should have the long game in mind, which, be, bring, which means bringing them back into the fold and seeing them integrated into the life of the church to be built up in Christ. Friends, we should celebrate the rescue of the lost. There will surely be the day when we are gathered at the great banquet that we've talked about earlier. And we'll all be there at that great banquet and on that day to gather around this great feast. But that feast will also be another celebration over all of those who were once lost but now are found. And friends, that joy will last not for a day, but for endless days. One other thing to keep in mind is notice, notice the, how personal this is. In both parables, there's a lost sheep and a lost coin. And God takes the time through the shepherd and through the woman being pictured here of God's heart for the lost. God's taking the time to pursue that which is lost. Listen, God is pursuing us on an individual basis with the flock in mind, but he's pursuing us on an individual basis. And when that individual repents, he takes the time to rejoice, to celebrate, 
and all of heaven with him. Brothers and sisters, think about that. There was a party thrown in heaven on the day in which you repented of your sin and you turned to Christ. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, and you realize that you have sinned against a holy and righteous God, and that God is maybe using this passage to illuminate that in your heart this morning, and he's calling you out of your sin to to see Christ as your hope, because Jesus died for sinners. He died to forgive you of your sin and to make you righteous with God and reconciled to God. If you realize that today, and you come to Christ, you repent of your sin, and you put your faith in Jesus, heaven will erupt in joy over you, friend. This world may reject you, but heaven will rejoice over you if you will come to Christ. This is our hope. And it results in a shared celebration. You know, as I think back to the number of times our own dog has escaped his home, There have been many times when I've not been so gracious. And I've even said, if that dog is that dumb to run off, maybe he should just stay out there. But aren't you thankful that God doesn't say that about us? Aren't you thankful that God doesn't say, if they're that dumb to rebel in their sin against me, just let them be? No. He comes himself in search of that which is lost. And he finds us and he puts us on his shoulders and he brings us back home. And that is grace. Because the truth is, is we deserve to stay out there. We deserve to be lost. If we're we're that rebellious, we deserve it. We deserve to not be found, but God in his grace has pursued us. He knows we're sheep, that we're hard-hearted and hard-headed. He knows our sin. And he comes after us anyway. And he dies for our sin. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Praise God for his grace. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for showing us your heart through your word. Lord, we thank you that as followers of Jesus, we can see how valuable we were and are to you. That even in our worst condition, Lord, you loved us and you came after us. Father, I am thankful that you did not leave us lost, but that you came for us and you rescued us. Father, would you humble us with that this morning? Would you remind us that were it not for you, Lord, every single one of us that are Christians, were it not for you, we would still be out there somewhere, lost in our sin, heading towards an eternal judgment. 
Father, we thank you for your kind grace, for bringing us home. Father, there are others that are out there. There are lost sheep wandering this world everywhere. Lord, would you help us to join the rescue party and to go out them and to point them to the shepherd who would love to receive them. And help us to rejoice when they are found. Lord, would you speak to those today that are lost sheep? Maybe the finding of the lost sheep in someone's life today would be the means of this very message. That they would realize that they're lost and that they're without hope and that Jesus Christ is the only way to you and that they can have life and forgiveness and joy and a celebration will erupt over them if they will come to Jesus today. So Lord, would you give them the desire and the ability to repent of their sin, to put their hope in you. Father, we thank you that you are faithful to pursue that which is lost. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.